Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Matthew, we got another beautiful spring week here. Um, you know, kind of getting into vacation season. It's a it's an exciting time of the year here in into May, June, where summer kind of officially starts with uh, with Memorial Day. Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's been really nice weather too. It hasn't been too hot, not too muggy. Uh, yeah. It's a fun time of the year for sure. Been a, been a wonderful uh, spring, really has. Yeah. And uh, and what about the PGA Championship? Oh I don't know if you saw that last <laughs> week. Yeah, that was crazy. Um, you know, and the biggest story besides Brooke Kepka being unflappable and, and winning his fifth major, you know, uh, tournament, third PGA Championship, you know, which is historic and and pretty amazing. But um, besides that, there was this PGA Club Pro that mm. played in it. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, I think his name was Michael Brock. I think. Okay. And okay. um, <clears throat> so he's from California, and um. He uh he made the cut. I mean, he qualified for it, which PGA Club pros can. They're not tour pros, but they get to get to actually try to qualify. And he went through three or four tournaments to do that. He qualified, and then he made the cut on wow. on Friday. And uh, then he proceeded to shoot about even par. I think he ended up maybe one over par um, the next two days. And so on Sunday, he came in fifteenth overall. In the P- overall, wow. the PGA Championship. <laughs> And so he's qualified for next year. Wow. Won $300,000, and he's qualified to play this week wow. in the tournament. So Amateur. I mean, that... Well, he's not an amateur. He's a good good pro, okay. but okay. he's a club pro. He okay. just teaches gotcha. golf for okay. $150 an hour. You know, he's just a, you know, a normal club pro that you'd have. I, I, would, trust, mini, I would trust him as a teacher now. <laughs> yeah, course. He's very good, though. He's playing regional wow. tournaments and stuff. Okay. But uh, unbelievable story. And then he... So, and then to put the icing on the cake, he made a hole-in-one on number 15 oh on goodness. Sunday, flew it in the cup, playing wow. with Roy McElroy, and uh, just unbelievable, yeah, Cinderella story there. So uh, that was the PGA Championship. That's exciting. So, yeah. I'm sure you enjoyed was. that. <laughs> oh, that was unbelievable. So that was, That's we'll be great. talking about that 10 years from now. That guy wow. was amazing. Mm. So Anyway, um, speaking of of interesting things, we have a couple interesting topics we're going to talk about. Um, one of them, though, Matthew, is don't let the the market ruin your retirement. Mm. Um, a lot of people are kind of get hung up in the nervousness of the bear market that we're in, and uh, and they do some things that affect their retirement down the road. So we're going to talk about some of the problems you can run into overacting to a bear market. Mm and how you can hurt your retirement, and what to do instead. I okay. think it's a really good article, very recent, out of Bottom Line, Inc. Yeah, that's great. And the second article is, is going to be a little bit of an introduction to 401ks. If you've never uh, had a flavor of what a 401k is, or if you're a, a younger employee, or you, you've just started working, this is going to be a really good article for you, and also to pass along to someone uh, if you know someone who is in that stage. But yeah, how do 401ks work is the main premise of that. And that's from Schwab. Yeah, very important topic. So pay attention to that. And uh, certainly anybody just getting started in the workforce needs to understand mm-hmm. that because it can change your life if you get involved and really start investing that's right. well into your 401k. 
Um, by the way, I'm Steve Marvert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 28 years experience in financial planning and investment advice. And I'm Matthew Travis. I'm also a certified financial planner and, and I'm an advisor here at the firm. Yeah, we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday morning. Um, you can check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, and you can listen to us every Friday anywhere in the world. Um, mm-hmm. And all our old shows are also on the uh, website, so you can go on there. We have over 10 years of shows. I don't know if all 10 years is on there, sure. but there's a lot on there. And, uh, you know, by topics, so you can look at topics and you can sort through. And you can. we've talked about, you know, everything from Medicare to long-term care to, you know, investing and planning mm-hmm. and saving, anything yeah, you can imagine. So. A lot of good information out there. Um, yeah, but anyway, we're going to start off uh, here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, and this is interesting. So everyone who has uh, an employee uh, who's employed pays Social Security and Medicare tax, and mm. um, this was the, um, the the income limits for this being taxed when you are drawing it. Um, was last revised in 1983, and and what I'm referring wow. to is. Um, for a single person, um, twenty five thousand for provisional income is the is the income number that if you're under that, you don't pay anything. Um, you know, for Social Security taxes. If you're over that, it goes up to eighty five percent. There's thresholds, um, and for married filing jointly, that lower threshold is thirty two thousand. Again, those numbers have not changed since nineteen eighty three. Typically, we yeah. see with Social Security things being indexed with inflation, but we were talking about this before the show. We were thinking that the reason it hasn't is because if they indexed it, it would mean there'd be less taxes paid to the government. And they've made a decision to say, hey, this is a good way to get taxes. So it has not been changed in, I guess, 30 years. Well, 40, 40, years. 40 years. Yeah, 1983. Yeah, yeah I yeah. mean, you know, 25,000, 32,000, and 44,000, the upper limit. Right. You know, that was a lot of money in in 1983, 40 right. years ago. Today, that's it's, like nothing. Yeah, right. So bottom line is kind of, Everybody pretty much ends up paying eighty five percent on their social security, mm-hmm. paying tax on eighty five percent of your social of security. Fifteen yeah. percent ends up being tax free, and um, and I think social security is not taxed when you put the money in. So Correct. you're right. So you're putting the money in before taxes. So um, so you know, I mean, that's the government's right or wrong. That's I think that's their philosophy on it. Is yeah. you should pay tax on it because you didn't pay tax going in, but. Yeah, it is what it is. Count on paying some tax on Social Security mm-hmm. on 85% of it when you retire because that's uh, that's probably going to be a reality. Yeah, they, that's right. They, nobody's really talking about inflating that number. No, <laughs> no, I haven't heard any of that. So there you go. Good fact of the week. And that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is don't let the market, the bear market that is, ruin your retirement. Um, yeah, it's a great article out of Bottom Line, Inc. Very recently, um, Alan Roth and... Um, yeah, I mean, you save, you know, for decades, Matthew, you know, in hopes of enjoying a secure retirement. But, you know, there is a risk um, that you may not have considered. Um, and that risk is, you know, the stock market's performance in those first few critical years right after you retire, um, when your portfolio is probably around its highest and you start taking those distributions. Um, and that the risk that we, we get into some bad returns, you know, and that can upend your, your planning. Um, and it's called the sequence of returns risk mm. is, is one way that it's known. Um, but it can be a double whammy, you know, because you're drawing down your assets from your portfolio after it's already, you know, been diminished by a bear market. 
And those assets, you know, if you're drawing them down and they're down from the market, they don't really get a chance to recover well. They make you vulnerable to running out of money, you know, later on mm. in retirement at an old age. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, some new retirees are turning to strategies that are, you know, they consider ultra safe, you know, to protect their portfolio, such as maybe holding large amounts of cash to pay bills and buy, you know, or buying annuities is kind of another strategy we hear. And these moves, I mean, they have a lot of appeal in a bear market, you know, because they're, they're they lower your immediate risk. Um, to the market, but they make and they make you feel more secure, but they may not be effective when you come to achieving your long-term sustainability. And the reason is they ignore the effect of higher inflation, um, which we're now experiencing and we we could be experiencing for years to come. Mm. Um, in fact, I mean they really don't have any. They they ignore inflation altogether. Right. And uh, so let's look into these a little bit. I mean, these short-sighted strategies, and then let's talk about some ways that you can help mitigate, you know, the risk sure. of, of down markets, bear markets like this. Yeah. So this first one, this first mistake is keeping a permanent allocation of several years worth of living expenses in cash. Uh, having, enough, having enough money to pay your bills in a bear market means that you can leave your portfolio untouched so it has time to recover. Plus, if you shop around, you can get in that three to four percent on you know uh, interest on your cash and deposit accounts. Why this is not a great solution um, is because while it does feel good to have this bucket as a reserve, like most things, um, you know that that feel good in investing, it's 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 an imperfect approach. There's a huge opportunity cost to maintaining large amounts of cash for long periods. You're guaranteed to miss out on any capital appreciation when the markets do recover and you're virtually guaranteed to underperform inflation, especially what we've seen lately. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, sure. Yeah. You can get, you know, even four to 5% on short term treasuries now, um, money market accounts, um, you know, but your spending power is still being eroded by inflation. Um, and though it's, you know, typically high right now, I mean, consider that inflation you know, was recently 7% year over year. Um, I mean, it got up to 9.1% year over year last summer and still hanging around 5%, you know, year over year. So so a better idea really is you want to keep just enough cash on hand for emergencies and then be able to sleep at night, um, you know, for the emergencies, but then keep the bulk of your money invested in a diversified portfolio, mm. which includes fixed income. Okay, so we still have fixed income in there that can protect you when markets are down that you can draw from without selling your stocks um, that are down. So but when markets do drop, that fixed income is available for rebalancing. And that rebalancing allows us to buy stocks when they're low, helping you to recover. So by leaving the fixed income in your portfolio, not having it sitting outside in cash somewhere, it's available for rebalancing. It can help you recover when markets are down. So you want to keep that working for you in your portfolio and available for, as part of the overall rebalancing strategy. Gotcha. So that's why that's a better strategy for that. Hmm. Mistake number two, uh, Matthew, is buying an immediate annuity or a qualified longevity annuity contract which allows you to defer the start of your income payments until you reach, you know, old age or 
um, or whenever you're ready. But, you know, these annuities, they typically purchase, they're purchased from an insurance company. Um, they have some emotional appeal because they offer some downside protection. They have some in, in, income guarantees for not outliving your money. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also some uh, problems with them as well. Yeah, and these income guarantees, um, they typically do not increase with inflation. So over time, this inflation will erode the value of your future income stream. For example, in 25 years, the cash stream from a fixed rate, single premium, uh, immediate annuity um, loses 52% of its purchasing power with a 3% annual inflation. That number goes up to 85% if the inflation is at 8%. So why not just get you know one of these types of annuities that have an inflation protection or a cost of living adjustment attached to them? Uh, well, insurance companies have stopped offering these products linked to actual inflation. Many offer a fixed annual increase, such as you know 3%, which will significantly lower your starting annual payout because they're essentially saying, hey, we're going to increase this and guarantee it. So you have to start at a lower amount for that present value to be the same for the insurance company. And while counterintuitively, these actually can further increase the risk if inflation does turn out to be higher than forecasted. Yeah, because the income stream is a lot lower at that point. You know, there's no way they're going to give you nearly as much money right. if you're if it's inflation protected. And, it, and it's locked in at that point. It's locked in. You yeah. can't can't change it. You're in a contract that's for life, essentially. So, um, yeah, that's not good. So alternatively, um, you know, here are four strategies that can reduce the out-of-sequence returns risk um, or the the sequence of returns risk, the risk that you're in a down market the first few years in retirement or, or somewhere in retirement that pulls your portfolio down to the point that it can't recover well, that risk um, and the effects of higher inflation. So there are some strategies to do that. So we're going to go through those. Not all of them will be right for your situation. So you know, it's worth running the numbers, re-examining your retirement plans, re-evaluating the trade-offs. Um, but strategy number one is, um, you know, just to retire slowly. Um, you know, get a part-time job that offers some satisfaction. Work part-time, maybe in your current job, um, you know, such as working, but you could work for a nonprofit, um, you know, there's something you believe in. Just do something that's more satisfying, but obviously would pay less. But then delay full retirement, um, and that can yield multiple benefits, including, you know, earning some income, you know, while you have a a bit less time to spend money as Mm -hmm. well. Um, And so that can just set you up so that you kind of ease into retirement and you're not having to dip into your portfolio hard um, during those first few years in case the market is down. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one strategy. Another one is to create a flexible line item budget. Um, you know, even if you have a well-defined spending rules in retirement, um, you, you also need to have a plan for how you're going to rein in spending if markets don't cooperate to protect your long-term financial viability. Um, so, you know, you'll feel more in control, less deprived if you decide ahead of time, which areas of your budget you're going to trim. Yeah. And so this is, you know, very practical, but what, what would you do with that? So, you know, we would recommend you create a spreadsheet. We like spreadsheets or mm-hmm. a piece of paper. Um, and, you know, with categories for all of your expected expenses during the year, non-negotiables such as basic living expenses, medications, mortgages, 
uh, must be paid regardless of what the stock market does. Divide the rest of your budget into line items that include discretionary expenses that are priorities for you um, and, and non-discretionary expenses that you can reduce if the market does get dicey and you want to reduce withdrawal. So an example would be, you know, Steve, let's say you, know, you don't have grandkids currently, but you know, let's say you budgeted 15000 for travel annually. The stock market goes down and you wanted to cut that back. Maybe you and Kathy look at your budget and you say, hey, let's, you know, we still want to travel to grandkids or we still want to do this thing that is a priority. So maybe instead of 15000 maybe 5000 is is our number for travel this year. And you set aside that other 10000 because it's not a priority and it's not non-discretionary. Um, you know, that would be a way that you could have this flexible budget to say, hey, you know, we're working with what the markets give us. Um, you would also need a line item called contingencies to cover unexpected expenses, such as a new roof or expensive dental work or, you know, an emergency fund you would right. be another way to say that. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. And if the stock market is is um, way up one year, you know, you can spend the usual amount your, you know, for your budget for discretionary and non-discretionary items, but resist splurging, you know, in other words, um, you know, or, and otherwise you might just get used to that upgraded lifestyle and it would be even more painful if you had to cut back in future years. Um, so yeah, but that's a, that's a good strategy. And the next strategy here is to delay your social security benefits if markets are healthy. Um, because maximizing your social security benefits by delaying them until, until all the way up to 70 is one of the best ways to deal with kind of the sequence of returns risk. Um, not only does your annual payout, you know, for Social Security rise by about 8% per year for each year you delay after full retirement age, um, but it, it's the only lifelong annuity that you can get with annual inflation adjustments backed by the U.S. government up to 100% with up to 100% survivor benefit. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, Social Security is kind of unique. You know, it is definitely unique in that way. I mean, it's it's something you can't buy on an open market. Um, and so for married couples, you know, the spouse with the greater Social Security benefit should consider delaying until age 70 unless both spouses are in poor health or, of course, unless you need the money, you mm -hmm. know, for, for retirement earlier. Um, but the, the 2023 cost of living adjustment for... Uh, Social Security benefits was 8.7%, um, the highest wow. bump in four decades. That's a lot. Um, obviously, you can't get that kind of adjustment in annuity no. or anything sure. else, um, right? But, you know, you shouldn't accelerate claiming benefits just because you're worried about missing out on the cost of living adjustments as well. I mean, when you eventually do claim Social Security, any adjustments will be reflected in the higher benefit you receive. So your Social Security calculation goes up mm -hmm. by inflation as well, even though you're not drawing it. Mm, that's that's good. the point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And this last strategy is to rethink the 4% rule. Typically we've heard, you know, 4% of withdrawals from your accounts and it'll last for your entire life. Um, you know, a different approach to that is to have a flexible withdrawal strategy and to say, Hey, like we've been talking about, maybe the markets are down and during COVID, you know, you're not able to travel. Maybe we don't pull out you know, the standard amount we've been pulling out every month, maybe we reduce that because the markets are down and we just don't need it. And then when the markets go back up, you can increase that to what you were using. So, you know, if you can have flexibility of when you pull money out of the markets, 
um, you know, this strategy would say that you can you could extend the life of your portfolio, uh, which again reduces the risk of the sequence of returns right. risk because you're able to say, hey, we have cash outside of the portfolio that we're able to spend, and we don't need to draw money from the accounts when when the when the markets are down. So having that flexibility in there can also provide some longevity for the portfolio. Yeah, that's a huge huge uh, benefit if you can build that into your plan to have some flexibility on when and how much you take out of your portfolio during those down years. Um, of course, the future is impossible to predict, you know. I mean, 90% success rate may be exaggerated when you're considering long periods of time, and that's why it's important to employ these other ways to mitigate risk rather than just blindly spending, you know, at some percentage, which increases each year based on inflation. Um and also some retirees, they want to spend more earlier in retirement and reduce their spending later um, when they've knocked out their bucket list on trips, et cetera. Mm. So anyway, I mean, you know, there are lots of ways to design retirement and be able to enjoy your golden years. But having a plan to address these risks and these downside markets is the key to a low stress retirement. Mm. That's good. So, all right. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, and I'll ask you this question, Steve. It's okay. from a client. I have 50% losses in, a, in single stocks. I believe there's five. Uh, should I wait for them to recover or should I diversify now? Okay, that's a great question, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, it kind of depends. You know, I mean, th the default would be to diversify now because um, you have to assume that the market is going to recover as fast as any portfolio of stocks on average, right. okay? Um Having said that, I mean, if you had one stock that, you know, had dropped 50% because it had a bad earnings quarter, um, you know, it might be reasonable to assume it might recover better than the market next quarter if the, if the earnings go back up. So maybe you hang on to that one for a while. But for the most part, stocks are unpredictable, you know, and they can be a disaster. You, you, you never know when one of those is going to go to absolute zero. Mm. Um, so... Yes, it's always better to diversify early. I would I would lean toward selling them all, diversifying it into a diversified portfolio now. Okay. Yeah. So good. great, great question yeah, though. Good really answer. good question. All right, and that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is four one ks. You know how do they work? Um, and uh, yeah, seven frequently asked questions. Yeah, so if you're like most Americans, when you think retirement planning, you may think of the 401k. After all, it's the most common type of retirement plan. However, uh, you know, even those workers who use uh, 401k plans, they may not understand exactly how these plans work. So how does a 401k work um, in, some of the, in some of the logistics? We have some answers to those common questions. Yeah, absolutely. And the first one is, I mean, so in a 401k, you're putting money into retirement plan sponsored by your employer where the money is expected to grow um, at a tax-deferred uh, rate over time. And in most cases, you choose how much money you want to contribute to your 401k based on a percentage of your income. So you pick a percentage. Um, your employer automatically withholds that portion from your paycheck and puts it into the account. Um, and with a traditional 401k, I mean, this money is taken out of your paycheck before taxes are figured in. Um, if you're not choosing the Roth option. Sure. Yep. And it provides you the chance to reduce your taxes a day. Um, and you pay taxes on the money when you withdraw it from your account during retirement. So in exchange for this increased tax efficiency, you agree to hold off on withdrawals 
without any without a penalty until after age 59 and a half. And some employers do offer a Roth 401k in a plan that allows Roth contributions. You don't get an immediate tax deduction because these Roth contributions are made with after-tax money. Instead, you expect your money to grow tax-free and you can withdraw it without paying taxes. In both types of plans, you typically have a separate account in the 401k registered in your name and you'll get regular statements. Typically, you can choose from a menu of investments to pick which plan works best for your age, risk tolerance, and time to retirement. Uh, each 401k will be different in the investments offered, um, as well as whether you must pick your own investments or choose to have your accounts managed for you. So yeah, a lot of different options in there, but really pre-tax versus Roth, it's just a same exact account just when the taxes are assumed for that money. Yeah, and for a young person, we would certainly recommend Roth because, you know, if you can get that money growing tax-free for life and then have it's a, a tax-free income in yeah. retirement, great deal. that's a beautiful thing. Yep. It's a great, great deal. And, you know, the, the number in retirement is going to be a lot bigger than the number you're putting in today. So right. you want that bigger number to be tax-free. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good option. So another question, common question is how much can you contribute to your 401k? And uh, it really depends on the limits that are set by the IRS each year. It is indexed with inflation, so it goes up every year um, when they determine these limits. Um, not every year, but it goes up most years. Sure. But, you know, for 2023, the limit is $22,500 for those that are under 50. If you're over 50, there's a catch-up provision for $7,500. So the limit is going to be uh, about twenty, about $30,000 mm -hmm. for if you're over 50. Um, so it's a good idea to review those limits each year because they do change every year, most years. And, uh, yeah, if you're already contributing, um, and you get a raise, you might want to, you know, adjust your contributions and, and get more in there. Yeah. In our profession, this next one, we, we can't say free very often, but on this next one, Steve, we can say free and it's That's just true. talking about 401k matching. So one of the most important aspects of a 401k is the effect of matching contributions made by your employer, which adds free money to your account. Typically an employer match works by taking a portion of your contribution up to a certain percentage of your income and investing it in your 401k. Most matches are expressed as a percentage of the contribution you make and are based on a percentage of the income that you choose to contribute. For example, let's say you earn 6,000 per month and your employer matches 50% of your contributions up to 6% of your income. If you wanted to get the full match, you would add at least 6% of your income, which would be you know, $360 per month. And your employer would add in 3% of your salary or about $180 per month. And as a result, you would be contributing 540 per month. So part of that is again, employee, part of that is employer, but it is free. It is part of your compensation package. package. Yeah would definitely recommend trying to get the match if at all possible. Yeah, absolutely. You got to take advantage of that um, free money, no doubt. Um, a common question that people ask about the matching is whether or not that counts toward your annual contribution limit. Good news is it doesn't. Um, you know, and uh, in fact, there is a separate limit that affects the overall contributions. Um, it's called the 415 limit. And for, for this year, it is $66,000. If you're under 50, if you're over 50, it's $73,000. Um, and so that includes all the contributions from your employer and you. Some plans allow you to contribute after-tax money up to that 415 wow. limit. 
And yeah, if you can do that, if you make a lot of money and you can put that money in above your 30000 or 22500 up to that 415 limit, that after-tax money can then be rolled to a Roth. A Roth IRA. That is exactly. Wow. Right out of the plan. That is a great backdoor way to get a ton of money in a Roth wow. very quickly. Wow. If you have a high income and you can afford to do that, it's you want to look at tip. that. Great Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. And this next one, what is 401k vesting? And this is really important. You know, if you stay at a job for you know, one year, two years, you may think, hey, I've been contributing. Let's pull the 401k over. Your contributions will roll over. They're automatically 100% vested. Your employer match or employer contributions may or may not be vested. There could be a vesting schedule. So just understanding what the vesting schedule is, I think you can go up to seven years for a vesting schedule. So just understanding what that is for your employer is important. Yeah, that's right. And what happens if I make an early 401k withdrawal? Um, that's a great question. I mean, generally, there's a 10% tax penalty if you're under 59 and a half right. and you make an early 401k withdrawal. Um, so you want to avoid that at all costs. I mean, if you do retire and you're 55 or older, then you that's an exception to the penalty. Mm -hmm. and so you can take money out of your 401k without the penalty. You pay ordinary income tax on that, on those withdrawals. Um, but you want to avoid that penalty at all costs. So let's plan on leaving in there until 59 and a yeah. half. That's really the key. Yeah, it's a good one. This next one, um, can I contribute to an IRA and a 401k? The answer is yes. And also, if you are eligible for a 401k, then it may reduce the amount that the IRA is deductible, not the contribution, but the deduction that is available for the IRA. A little nuance, if you have questions, please ask us, but can you contribute both to an IRA and a 401k? Short answer, yes. And also there's some details that go into that. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. And then the last question is, how much should I contribute to my 401k? Our answer is resounding as much as you can. <laughs> Get it in there. <laughs> absolutely. The rule of thumb is 15%, okay? If you put 15% of your income in a retirement plan, including your employer match, you do that for a long period of time, 20, 30 years, We've never seen anybody come up short for retirement who did that, okay? So that's a good target, good rule of thumb. Um, but for most people, you're not going to put too much money in there. Just get it all in there as much as you can. You know, it's a great way to save for retirement. Get some Roth money in there, too. Kind of balance the two. So when you get to retirement, you have some of each. You can manage your tax situation, um, it's a fantastic tool. It's the way to grow wealth. Is It's the easiest way is inside your 401k. If you have that option at work, take advantage of it. Get all the money you can in there. Hmm. Yeah, so there you go. There you go. Good, good topic. And that leads us up here to our last thing, and that is the prescription of the week. And uh, yeah, so the, the prescription is this. Um, real estate can be a good investment. We get this question a lot. Should I invest in real estate? You know? and do like rental properties. And it absolutely can be a good investment. Um, our suggestion is don't do that unless you're, unless you're, you enjoy it, unless it's something that you're good at. Um, it, it's not a passive investment. It's an active investment. It's an investment where you have to be involved. You have to manage tenants. You have to manage the properties. Um, if you hire all that out, you probably won't make any money. So if you're going to make money in real estate, you got to be handy. You got to be able to go in there, do some upgrades yourself, do your own, maybe do your own painting. Um, you got to be able to get tenants out when they're not, uh, when they're not, 
they're not acting right. They're not doing well. Um, you got to be replaced tenants. Um, you got to be able to raise rents. You can't mm-hmm. have, you know, you, you can't be so generous that you go and you let rents stay level forever and you never raise them to a market rate. Um, so there's a lot to real estate. It's not a passive investment, but it can be a great way to build wealth along with your 401k and your other investments. Um, just, just make sure you have the right attitude and you're the right person to do that. That's kind of the prescription of the week. Mm. All right, well, that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and we'll talk about those right here on the air. If you do send them to us, or give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706 739 0725. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your week. Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment tax or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. All hosts are representatives of Richard Young Associates and registered investment advisor.